Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you for joining me today. So in our house, my youngest brother is the king of egg sandwiches. I don't know exactly what he does, but in our household, his sandwiches are always the best. This weekend, my family was home for Easter, and this meant a lot of egg sandwiches. It also meant an Easter hunt with the family. My mom has recently started a tradition that I love. She is incredibly clever and a witty writer, and so in the last few years, she has sent us on egg hunts that involve a series of clues in rhyming couplets, with clues that are specific to us, each of the kids, our personalities, and that give us a clue to more clues until we've gone around the house, gathered all of them, and we come to the end of the hunt for an Easter egg surprise thing. This is one that she did for my youngest brother uh, a couple years ago. So, here we go. I'll give you a call when some weirdo I find from the Whovian phone booth above my wood blind. I think the next clue is like by the blinds in our house. Some say that I'm cracked, but only for good, a sizzle and flip, and I taste like I should. I think this clue led to another one in an egg carton. And then there was this one. You smash me and squash me beneath your behind, while on your computer relaxed and reclined. I think this was on a chair in front of a computer. And then the last one. Bob ain't no builder, Bob ain't too kind, your treats ain't beneath him, instead they're behind. And that was the end of her her series of clues. And we have, um, my brother does Taekwondo, and we have a, like, a very terrifying uh, boxing, like, person. It's like one of those, like, half people mannequin things that you can punch and looks like it's gonna kill you. Very terrifying in the dark. In fact, my family went through a phase, and it's a huge thing, like, it's quite heavy, but my family went through a phase where they would hide it in different people's beds throughout the house and, like, put wigs on it and stuff. Hilarious. Terrifying but very funny. So I think my brother found his Easter treat behind Bob, the uh, practice dummy for his Taekwondo, and uh, yeah, it was a good time. Which brings us to today's general topic, the simple, unassuming egg. Not Bob, but eggs. And although we won't be trying to answer the question of which came first, the chicken or the egg, today, let's take a look at just the egg and its role that it's played in our society and why we can be grateful for it. So when did we, as a general human population, start consuming eggs and using them for food? Well, some would argue since the beginning of time. As far as domesticating fowl for the purpose of consuming their eggs, we can look to India as far back as 3200 BCE for some of the first domesticated jungle fowl. If we're looking back for records of human domestication of fowl, we can also find it in China and Egypt as far back as 1400 BCE. In the Western world, the Romans found egg-laying fowl domesticated by the English, the Gauls, and the Germans. Egg-laying hens were found in North America in 1493 on Columbus's second trip to the Americas. We even have evidence of domesticated fowl as far back as the Neolithic Age, which was approximately 3900 to 1700 BCE, as described by the Encyclopedia of Food and Culture, Volume 1. As far as the English word for egg goes, the original word in Old English was ugg. I'm not sure I'm saying that right. Ugg? O-E-G. Ugg which transformed a bit into Middle English as the word I, or plural, the word iron. 
which is actually very close to the German word for egg. However, in the 14th century, Old Norse came into play linguistically, and people used both eggs and iron, and eventually egg won out as the word of choice by the 16th century. As far as cooking with eggs go, historians say that the practice is ancient, but they are not sure when it started. Some believe that domesticating birds, particularly the chicken, to increase egg production may have started in China around 6,000 BCE or 7,000 BCE. There is evidence that ancient Egyptians and ancient Romans used eggs for making breads and cakes. Even here, though, historians cannot say when using egg as a thickening agent began. It's likely that the invention occurred through trial and error. The Egyptians, the Romans, and the Greeks used eggs in their cooking, for their breads and their cakes, and in 25 BC, Apicius invented a baked custard. This is presumably Marcus Gavius Apicius. The Apicius are also a set of cookbooks from the Romans that were written and compiled in about the first century AD. In about 300 BCE, both in Egypt and China, farmers discovered a way to incubate eggs. This allowed the hens to stop sitting on the eggs that they had just produced and instead produced more eggs. They'd remove the egg from under the chicken, put it in the incubator, and then the chicken could produce more eggs. The process involved using warm clay ovens. This process allowed eggs to be more greatly produced, and they became therefore much cheaper and more accessible to the general public at large. Traditionally, through ancient times, the Middle Ages, and up until modern times, hens only laid eggs in the spring, which contributes to why we use eggs in many springtime celebrations all over the world. One such celebration is Qingming Jia in China. This practice began in 200 AD in the Han Dynasty. Qingming is now also known as Tomb Sweeping Day or Ancestors Day and began as a celebration to welcome spring and was a cold food festival. To begin planting in the spring for the new year of planting, people would put out their fires for three days and eat cold food. Many people dyed eggs during this time. Traditionally in the past, people got nervous when the changing of the seasons came and believed that this was a time where they were more susceptible to devils. Think Halloween and the practice of carving pumpkins or radishes to ward off evil spirits or celebrating the new year. All of these are changing of seasons and thus led to some of these fears about warding off bad luck or evil spirits. Qingming developed a similar function. Starting in northern China in 600 AD, in the Sui or Tong dynasties, people began to visit the graves of their ancestors on Qingming. There, they would clean the graves or make sacrifices. This could be attributed to the spread of Buddhism as well, which practiced praying to the dead or ancestral worship. By 1200 AD, on Qingming, families would visit the graves of their ancestors. This largely started gaining traction in southern China. As people visited the graves of their ancestors, they met with other family members and cousins and strengthened family ties. During these reunions, only the father's family was visited, not the mother's. When women married, they visited their husband's family graves and not their own. As the Tang Dynasty started to fall apart, families needed to stick together to stay safe and strong with threats of robbery and war, which became more and more prevalent. Qingming was also a time for people to have fun, to play games or see plays, as well as visit their family and friends. These days, practices include making sacrifices to ancestors, such as foods and wines, incense or fake money. Some use willow branches to sweep away evil spirits, and many fly kites, cutting them loose 
at night in order to let the bad luck go with it. Today's Ancestors' Day is celebrated in China, in Taiwan, in Hong Kong, in Indonesia, Macau, Malaysia, Thailand, and Singapore. It actually just passed yesterday on April 4th. Another spring celebration involving eggs is that of Noruz, an Iranian celebration. This celebration also includes painted or dyed eggs. Noruz stemmed from when Babylonian kings adopted the Zoroastrian religion. It has, however, been celebrated by more than just Iranian communities over the years, including communities all over Asia. It is the Iranian New Year, marking the beginning of Farvardin, which is the first month in the Iranian solar calendar year, and is celebrated on the spring equinox. In 2021, Noruz was celebrated on March 20th. There are a few stories as to how Noruz began, one of which includes a mythical Iranian king, King Jamshid who was quite a legendary figure. The story goes that there was a killer winter that was going to just destroy all living creatures, and King Jamshid came up with a solution, wherein he constructed a great golden throne with many jewels, and then had demons lift him in his throne high above the earth where he shone like the sun, ushering in the springtime and saving all of life. All the living creatures gathered around him and scattered jewels and called it a new day, or Noruz. It is also possible that this celebration could have been inspired by Babylonian celebrations of the changing of the seasons, such as Akito, which was held in the spring around the same time of Noruz. In celebration of Noruz, families clean house, like spring cleaning, and they shop for the new year. Families and friends visit, other loved ones and families gather together around the Hoftsen table and wait for the exact moment of the new year. The Hoftsen table has a lot on it to celebrate the new year including a mirror, candles, painted eggs, there they are again, sweets, coins, a bowl of water, a goldfish, and hyacinth. In Afghanistan, the celebration includes haft mewa, which is a mix of seven different nuts and fruits. In the Republic of Azerbaijan, there is a display of the concha, which is on a silver tray and includes a tray of green with wheat and dyed eggs for each member of the family. In Iran, you have Amu Norutz and Haji Firutz, who visit to bring in the new year, with Amu bringing gifts for the children and Haji doing dances and singing through the streets to cheer people up. In Afghanistan, you also have Kampirak, who comes and visits the people, giving out charities. Beautiful poetry is also a part of this celebration. There are many ways eggs are included in celebrations around the world, especially when it comes to ushering in the spring. We'll go over just one more here quickly. We also have Easter, which just passed yesterday on April 4th. Easter is the Christian celebration honoring and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, following his being slain for the sins of the world as a part of his atonement, making it possible for mankind to repent, change, heal, and return to God, and overcome death. Using eggs to celebrate Easter can be traced back to early Christians of Mesopotamia. It's possible that they picked up a practice in that area and adjusted it slightly to meet their own needs for the symbolism. Here began the custom of dyeing eggs red to symbolize the blood of Christ at his crucifixion. The eggs were also stained yellow and green, in addition to the red. Other sources say that the connection between eggs and Easter actually came about because Christians were unable to eat eggs during Lent until Easter came. This became popularized in Western Europe in the Middle Ages. There are a number of games or activities associated with eggs for Easter. Now from egg hunts to egg rolls, egg tapping, and egg dancing games. The dancing game includes, you guessed it, dancing and trying not to land on an egg, which I think is just generally good advice. 
Another popular activity is dyeing and decorating eggs. The practice of decorating eggshells goes back to ancient times, with one example from Africa dating back to 60,000 years ago. This particular egg was an ostrich egg. In fact, eggs decorated in gold and silver were commonplace on grave sites some 5,000 years ago for ancient Egyptian and Sumerians. A white egg is also part of the Seder plot for Passover in Jewish tradition as well. So now that we've gotten to know a little bit more about eggs, let's talk about some of the symbolism around them. According to Nectar and Ambrosia, an encyclopedia of food in world mythology by Tamara Andrews, because eggs contained life itself, eggs were thought to symbolize and even have power to create life as well as prophecy. They symbolized both birth and rebirth, or even immortality, and some believed that eggs promised fertility. Some creation myths even explained that, I'm quoting from Andrew's book here, quote, the universe itself was hatched from an egg, close quote. Some also viewed the sun and the egg as sources of life. The egg even had a golden yolk like the sun. Both pagan and Christian beliefs in Europe saw eggs as symbolic of life and resurrection. This mythology trickled down into both the fantastic tales of fairies, where fairies would eat the eggs of other mythological creatures like the phoenix, as well as the practices of everyday life, where people would eat eggs in an effort to obtain their special power, or to have fertility. In Slavic countries and Germanic lands, farmers would crack eggs over their hose and use the egg-covered hose on the land, hoping that the fertility properties would transfer from the egg to the soil. In Iran, brides and grooms give each other eggs. In France, in the 17th century, when a bride would enter her new home, she would crack an egg. For other cultures, however, because eggs were viewed as symbols or sources of fertility in life, they went to great lengths to not destroy the eggs or consume them. For one example, in Australia, certain groups of aborigines respected the emu and forbade eating emu eggs because of their belief that they descended from the emu. Eggs could also be used to divine the future. Different Chinese and South Asian tribes would use eggs, chicken, or duck eggs to divine the future. One way to use eggs to divine the future was to paint the egg, boil it, and then read the cracks in the egg. Another method involved tossing the eggs in the air, a process called umansi. In Jewish traditions, eggs served at Passover symbolize sacrifice and rebirth. All that was courtesy of Andrew's book, everything that I just told you. Lots of interesting stuff there. According to another book called History of Food by Maugalone Toussaint Samat, the Mosi of Burkina Faso in Africa traditionally would not let their children eat eggs for fear that the child would become a thief. Because chickens were community property, to steal an egg was to take a chicken, essentially, because an eaten egg could never become a chicken. It was also believed that the spirits would be offended because stealing and eating an egg skipped over important religious traditions. And here's a fun fact about the Mosi. To tie us back to another episode that we've done of family history, members of the Mosi, called griots, are responsible for remembering the genealogy of the tribe and do so by singing genealogy, stories, and oral traditions passed down. To do this, they sing to a kora, which is a 21-string lute instrument. They also use other instruments like balafon and nagoni and their voice. And that's just something cool, so we'll go back to the eggs. We learn a bit more about Egyptian practices with eggs from The Chicken Book by Paige Smith and Charles Daniel. According to this book, Egyptians hung eggs in temples to encourage fertility. Additionally, they explain that in the Hindu tradition, the world began as a cosmic egg, 
going from unbeing to being in the form of an egg. In this story, when the egg splits open, it does so in two parts, a silver part of the egg that became the earth and a gold part that became the sky with the membrane forming the mountains and the veins and fluid forming the rivers and so on. Now, we can't talk about eggs without talking a little bit about, well, eating them. (laughs) There are loads of different methods, and honestly, I'm surprised by how much information there was about eggs, generally speaking. So, might have to do more research on this. There's more to learn. Like, go out there. It's, I was very surprised. I mean, I thought it was interesting, but like, then it was just, you know, profoundly interesting. But we'll just cover two methods of eating eggs for the moment. So one of the ways that we eat eggs is deviled eggs. In our family, we go over to my cousins and they typically bring this out around Thanksgiving. So deviled eggs actually refers to the way it was cooked and the fact that it's cooked in hot spices. The practice of deviling foods began in England in the 18th century. Or rather, this is where it first appears in print. Initially, deviling foods was used more for kidneys and stuffed meats rather than eggs. Now, if you're curious about how we got eggs benedict, well, we're not entirely sure either, but most of the stories revolve around two wealthy families in the 1890s in New York. And they mostly revolve around a hangover and the family benedict. The story goes that Lemuel Benedict and the Waldorf Astoria kitchen crew concocted eggs benedict because Lemuel was hungover and hungry. (laughs) Another story comes from yet another benedict family member, that of Mrs. Legrand Benedict, who was bored with the menu and requested something new from Delmonico's lunch menu. And yet another story, again with a Benedict family member, is that of Commodore E.C. Benedict, who invented the dish. I'll tell you one thing, the Benedict family seems to have liked their eggs and their names. That's just a lot of cool names right there. Which now leaves me hungry and still curious. Honestly, there are so many reasons to be grateful for eggs, from the role they play in a number of celebrations and religions, to welcoming the spring, to the ways that we can use them for food, for fertilizer, for skincare routines, and much, much more. I may have to revisit this one because uh, there's a lot. But hopefully for now, we've talked about a few good reasons we can all be grateful for eggs. I know I'm grateful for eggs, and now I want to go learn more. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a wonderful week.